26th head football coach of this great institution. Ladies and gentlemen, our new head football coach, Mel Tucker. Our team, we will be physical. Wilkins again gives to Benjamin. Hit and dropped in the backfield. <laughs> Mustafa Johnson shooting through for Colorado. Sometimes you just know. And I know that the young men in that room, they're hungry. An interception thrown by Martinez. It's picked off by guess who? I've never been in a game as a player or a coach that we weren't expected to win. Blitz from Nebraska. Montez takes a shot. Drops it in to Chanel. Touchdown! Welcome into episode nine of the Shoulder to Shoulder podcast. And the Buffs took a major beat down against Oregon, 45 to three. It was not pretty. A lot of the same problems came up. Uh, as always, we'll get to that one right after we go through the Pac-12 this week, which actually surprisingly didn't have any big surprises for once this entire season, actually. Yeah, it actually stayed fairly normal for once um unfortunately for us (laughs) but uh yeah i mean i wouldn't say there was anything that was that surprising everything went kind of according to plan um a couple of close games uh i don't know usc keeping up with notre dame was kind of surprising yeah i think i guess we might as well just start with that one i think that one um was more of notre dame kind of showing they aren't as elite as they were initially thought to be at the beginning of the season. I mean, I think that on their schedule, they have five people from the ACC con or five teams from the ACC conference. So that right there kind of, I mean, that's going to buffer their record overall in the win column by the end of the season. But I don't think their offense is good enough to actually win them games against better teams and USC's offense is just good enough to keep them in a game against a team with a defense like that. So I don't know. I don't know if it's necessarily a, a big thing for USC. It seemed more like a slight on Notre Dame than anything. Yeah, I kind of agree with that. I mean, USC kind of has shown up to this point in the season that they play up or down to whatever competition they seem to be going against. So I don't know if it was just more of that. It, it seems like, yeah, they, they were able to keep up, but um, it wasn't like they... I, I didn't feel like they looked that great either. So... Um, yeah, I'm with you. I think Notre Dame just didn't look as good, but uh, you know, USC's defense showed it could contain them. Um, there are some promising things. Their receivers are still good, but yeah, I I don't think it said all that much about them in the end. Yeah. I still think that CU has a a small chance against USC, even though they do run an air raid style offense, which we're actually going to go over kind of in the Washington state preview. Um, but I don't think their defense is like so good that they're going to be able to stop the CU offense unless they have a game like they did last night. Agreed. Agreed. Yep. So that one, like you said, it's close game 30 to 27 USC ended up losing that one, uh, which actually would have been pretty good for the conference reputation, in the national media. But at this point, I don't think it really matters too much. Uh, the, the game after the, the next game up was, is Arizona state making a, a comeback win against Washington state. I was actually a little bit surprised in how close Washington state played this game. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, I kind of feel like I know ASU's defense has been billed as being good um, because of some of the games they played early in the season, but I don't feel like I'm totally on board with that yet. I mean, I know we put up a lot of points on them. Washington state put up a lot of points. I mean, supposedly we're two teams with good offenses, so it's kind of excusable, but I think their defense is less like elite and more just, I don't know, maybe a little better than average. Um, so I, I wasn't that surprised to see um, to see that. They kind of worked themselves into a little bit of a shootout, which I don't think is their comfort zone. But, uh, you know, to their credit, I mean, Jaden Daniels looked really good. <laughs> so he, he continues to scare me for what lies ahead in the future. Um, you know, Benjamin really broke out in this one. Um, but you know, both defenses, I think kind of struggled. 
Yeah, and that, that's that's now two times this season that he did it once against Michigan State, and then he did it this week as well, where Jaden Daniels, a true freshman, has just looked so composed in the final drive to to either win or tie the game. And it's been super impressive, and it's it's kind of making me terrified to see what Arizona State does the next three years with him at the helm. Yeah, I mean, the, the fourth quarter comeback thing is already already legit with him, so... Um, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, he, he seems to be the type of guy who just does what he has to do to win the game when it's on the line. So hopefully, uh, hopefully see you can keep up with them in the years to come. Yeah. And I think in that game, I think it didn't help that Washington state's defense is nearly, if not as bad as ours. Uh, so I think that because Arizona state hasn't been scoring too many points this pretty much the entire season. Uh, they're in pretty mediocre on offense, not, not necessarily a, because of him, I think it's more on their offensive line, but I think that's kind of why they were able to beat Washington State, just because they're going against such a bad defense that they, they would be able to keep up with them no matter what. Right, right, yeah. Um, I mean, I think actually statistically, depending on where you look, but at least based on defensive efficiency, they are worse than us. So <laughs> they're, they're pretty rough. Yeah, they're pretty rough. I wonder. Yeah, I mean, I, I have to. I haven't, I haven't really been able to watch too many of their game, like full games of theirs. But I wonder if they're just giving up as many explosive or just completely broken plays as we are. Uh, maybe you, maybe you've been able to see that a bit <laughs> that, more than I have. That would be hard to do to give up more explosive plays than us. But um, yeah, you know, I, I think honestly, I think it's kind of similar to our situation. They just haven't been able to keep people off the board for whatever reason. Um, it'll be interesting to see when our two teams come together next weekend. Right. Um, so we'll get back to Washington State in, in a little bit here, but the the next game up was Utah, and they just dominated Oregon State, which wasn't surprising at all. Um, I, I thought Oregon State would actually put up a few more points on offense just because their offense is somewhat decent. Their, their defense has always been a problem, but um, they've got the playmakers on offense. I'm surprised they were only able to score seven in this game. Yeah, I mean, look, Utah clearly came into this one. They were ready for this. There was not going to be any letdown of any kind. I mean, they they were fired up. So um, it, it, they pretty much just dominated the whole game. I mean, I don't think Oregon State actually scored any points until the fourth quarter, I'm pretty sure. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it was a blowout in every sense of the word. So uh, they... I mean, there's really not much else to say. Uh, Moss came back for Utah, their running back. He got five carries, and he went for 121 yards and two touchdowns on That's five impressive. carries. So, um, you know, they're getting back to full strength. I mean, Huntley was very good again. Um, granted, o- Oregon State's defense is also not good, so um, it, it doesn't say a whole lot. More just that they were able to take care of business. It is impressive that they were able to shut down that offense, I guess, but... Um, honestly, it felt really similar to uh, the Buffs game on Friday. So, uh, you know, I mean, someone got beat worse than we did, which was kind of nice. Yeah, we weren't the we weren't the biggest deficit in the entire conference. Just barely. It was it's it's close. 45, 42 points, and this was forty five points. So yeah, three points off yeah. of being the worst worst defeat in the in the conference. So take that, uh, Oregon State. <laughs> Yeah, and, and speaking of Utah, actually, they they just regained their number fifteen ranking, which or not regained, but they've not now got that number fifteen ranking, which so far for the Pac twelve has not been good. But they're going up against Arizona State <laughs> it, next week, top twenty matchup. If you believe in superstition, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's true. I do, yeah, but yeah. Uh, I don't. I'm sure that that one's just a very random coincidence. Um, so yeah, Utah will be going up against Arizona State next week. That'll be a fun one to watch. Uh, Arizona State. You know, like we mentioned, it's just getting better every week with Jaden Daniels running the offense. So I think that'll be a, a good one to watch. But the uh, other only other game going on in the Pac-12 this week was Washington versus Arizona. Uh, Washington took care of his 51 to 27. But for the first half, it was actually a really competitive game. And I thought that Arizona was, was going to have a chance. But then the second half happened and it kind of just they took the wheels off. Yeah, I mean... Khalil Tate kind of realized all of a sudden in the second half that he wasn't playing Colorado anymore and went back to being who he normally is. <laughs> um, yeah, I, you know, I, I think it was just a, a matter of time for them. I, I think Arizona's defense 
Um, despite that, it the fact that it has improved as the season's gone along, I think eventually that was bound to break down. And Washington is just a more complete team than them, so uh, there wasn't much they could do about it. I mean, they they were able the Washington defense was able to force four turnovers, and Eason was solid today after having two weeks where he had some rough games. So um, yeah, I mean, in the end they dominated, but it was it was a close game at halftime. Yeah, I, well, yeah, like you said, Khalil Tate kind of came back to earth, which it's just unfortunate that he only happens to have like record-breaking games or near or near that against CU. But thankfully, he's graduating this year, so we won't have to deal with that again. Dude, he's the best quarterback to come into Boulder in like years, decades. Every time he comes to Boulder, <laughs> and then every time he leaves, it's like his superpowers vanish for some reason. Did I think I actually forgot to mention it last week? Did you see the quote he had after the CU game? Oh yeah, that he loved playing Colorado. Yeah, he's like Colorado will always have a special place in my heart. Yeah, I don't blame him. Fuck you, man. I don't blame him. I like I want to be mad at him for that, but at the same time, it's totally true. Yeah, I mean, we're the only reason he's gonna get any look from any NFL guys. (laughs) Exactly. Oh, but he (laughs) threw for four hundred yards against Colorado. Yeah. Okay. We could be the reason he's taking his. His talents to the next level, which is unfortunate, oh, God. but good for him, I guess. Yeah. So uh, that was, you know, uh, like we said earlier, a relatively unsurprising week for the Pac-12. The teams that were supposed to win did, and aside from uh, Arizona barely beating Washington State, but even then, I guess the spread it was close. Uh, that basically, yeah. said it was supposed to be that kind of game, so it wasn't. It wasn't too surprising. Surprising, but. Um, as far as playoff chances, any new any th- any thoughts on playoff chances after this week? Um, you know, probably still you're down to Oregon and maybe Utah if they both run the table and then one of them beats the other one in the in the Pac-12 championship. That's that's pretty much my only thought on um, one of them sneaking in. I mean, we did see Georgia lost. Um, this week to an unranked team so we kind of saw like those teams at the top they can make mistakes um, and allow other teams to kind of sneak in there so you know if Oregon kind of dominates their way through the rest of the conference schedule and and um, manages to win out the rest of the way or Utah does the same thing you you never know I guess yeah I don't know why but Oregon the past few years just seems to have one or two games a year where it's just like they just look horribly bad and they don't they don't play to the ability they can and they lose to somebody they shouldn't and then it always knocks them out um haven't seen that yet from oregon but i would be surprised if it even happens this next week against washington or or something but yeah i mean really it's it's up to those two to to win out pretty much until the conference championship and then hope that a conference champion from the pac-12 with one loss would be a better look than georgia if they don't make it so you know yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, there's still, you've got Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, um, LSU. There's like enough teams up there that they're on the outside looking in for sure. But mm-hmm. you never know if those teams take a couple of losses that they're not supposed to. It's still unlikely, still very unlikely, but um, you never know. Yeah, and well, and the thing I think that a lot of people forget, everyone's always like, well, what what are we going to do when there's four undefeated teams or but like that i think that only happened has happened once going into conference championship games in the past like six years or something i'm I'm just pulling that one out of my ass like that's not (laughs) i'm not but i'm like i'm nearly positive that yeah there's usually some teams with losses there's usually like two teams that make it all the way through uh without a loss and then the rest is like disagreements between uh, a bunch of teams that all have one loss or whatever so Right. Yeah. And we're going to Alabama and LSU, one of them's going to have a loss because they play each other. So Ohio State and Wisconsin. Ohio State and Wisconsin, same yeah. thing. So. Mm-hmm. so it'll be out. When does, when does the new the first CFP ranking come out? Honestly, I'm, I'm not sure. I feel like it's somewhere around midseason, isn't it, normally? I want to say somewhere around like week eight. Yeah, maybe? something like that. So it should be coming soon. I don't know. Yeah. So we'll see. But um, yeah, so I guess let's. Let's get on to Friday night's beatdown. Uh, 45-3, Oregon just dominated CU. I mean, you want to blame the defense for giving up 45, but you can't expect that defense. I mean, you just got to expect at this point the defense is going to give up points. You need the offense to score, and three points just is horrible. 
Yeah, I mean, so one kind of plays into the other in this case. I, yes, the defense gave up oh, 45 points, which is a brutal number, but the offense also didn't help them out at all. I mean, a lot of short drives, a lot of drives that ended with interceptions, giving the other team short field. I mean, in an ideal scenario, we never turn the ball over. We have long drives that control the the um, time of possession and just kind of wear them out over a long period of time, keep our defense off the field for long periods of time. And that was our kind of way to winning that game. And it did not happen. (laughs) It looked like maybe we had a shot at it early on. I mean, we were what we had three chances to get in from a yard out. I think we were second and goal from the one yard line at one point and if we had scored it would have been a seven point game going into halftime probably so I mean that that's a tight game and in a blink of an eye there was an interception and then they drove all the way down the field and scored and it was 24 to 3 and it was all over pretty much right and I don't know if this game kind of brought back flashbacks and this is I don't know this is a weird memory but to me it seemed a lot like the 2016 conference championship game against Washington. It did, yeah. Where you know we played them tight going to half. Even at half, it was still I think like a seven. I think it was yeah, fourteen to seven or something. Yeah, and then the first drive out, pick six. So, um, it I mean just like it it went from being a slightly competitive game where obviously the defense was getting roasted, but it wasn't like out of control yet, and then out of nowhere, just the wheels completely fell off. No, I mean honestly. I kind of felt like in the beginning, the defense was hanging in there. I mean, they were giving up yards, but, you know, they got a fourth down stop. They forced at least one punt and a field goal. I mean, like 17 points given up 17 to Oregon and a half, I I was okay with, honestly. (laughs) If, If it meant that we were able to score like we normally score, which, of course, we couldn't at all. Um but, you know, they were hanging in there. It just looked like by the time the second half came around, all those picks, the short fields, I mean, we just, the defense just wasn't in it anymore. It didn't look like anyone really was. The team honestly looked like they were kind of over it, which is unfortunate to see. I think that's the first time we've seen that since Mel Tucker took over here in this season. It seemed like they were always fighting to stay in the game, but this one was just, it was over by half, I would say. Yeah, and you started to see it with, I mean, obviously there were a ton of penalties, like false starts, but we'll get to that in a sec. But you saw it with, like, Jalen Harris throwing a punch. Like, I think guys were just getting frustrated, and that, that doesn't – that's not how you mount any sort of comeback. I mean, at that point, it was already over. But that's when you kind of see, you know, things are kind of getting out of hand. Yeah, it, it, it got pretty gross. I mean, it got pretty hard to watch. So um, I really hope that's something that they can get past. I hope they can just kind of – flush this game from their minds and move on um because you know they still have some winnable games coming up but it it looked bad yeah it definitely did and it all starts offensively uh back to where we were last week when we had this discussion it started with montez and he looked horrible yet again i I mean it pretty much from the get-go he was missing guys he threw four picks a career high i mean he's he averaged 3.9 yards per completion that is or per attempt excuse me that's horrendous yeah so he probably had i mean we were talking about this before the podcast started but arguably the worst game of his entire career yesterday or friday friday night um it it was brutal there's pretty much no way around it and i felt like early on he was kind of doing just enough to keep him around um nothing spectacular but he kind of looked like he was starting to get it going on that last drive in the first half. And once he threw that interception, the wheels just kind of came off. I mean, he came out the next half and instantly threw another pick on his first pass attempt and threw another one and then another one. I mean, it was just, you could tell he was pressing pretty bad and, and clearly it was in his head. I mean, I know Oregon's defense, they, their line was very strong. They were getting a lot of pressure. Um, so it was just all kinds of bad Montez for that one, which is unfortunate. We were really hoping he would come back and, and have a good game here, and it just did not happen. Yeah, I mean, even though like they were getting a lot of pressure, like his pocket was collapsing, but they only still only had two sacks. It's not like he was getting sacked like every other drop back. Like He still had some time to throw, and, and you mentioned it 
again, before we started recording, I mean, there were guys open. I mean, that's why Oregon had those defensive pass interference calls because they were just getting beat by LaVisca Chenault and Tony Brown and Demetri Stanley. I mean, they were just getting beat and had to hold to get something to happen, but then Montez still wasn't hitting him. I mean... Yeah, totally. I mean, he he definitely made some bad throws. One of the interceptions, he just underthrew LaVisca Chenault, who would have been wide open in the end zone, and it ended up being a pick and should have been another pass interference. But um, Which, by the way, that's like the dumbest rule of all time. Can we talk about that for a second? The fact that in college football, a pass interference is only a 15-yard penalty. Because that's like, I think this game, I want to say Arizona State, they did the same thing. Um, I mean, there have been games this year where people will just, especially with Visca, because he just owns guys, they just decide, all right, I'm just going to tackle him before the ball ever gets there, and it will just be 15 yards instead of a 50-yard touchdown. And it's it's kind of ridiculous. Yeah, I don't – and I've, I've always gone back and forth on this. I, my only reasoning as to why maybe they would leave it as a 15-yard penalty instead of a spot foul like in the NFL is because – in college, there are guys like LaVisca Chanel or Jerry Judy at Alabama that are just so much better than everybody else that they're going to beat guys 90% of the time. And so, you know, if, if they just beat guys 90% of the time and then they just start getting held every time, then it's going to be, they're going to get the ball down at the five yard line. And so it's just, I don't know. That's like the only reason I can see why they wouldn't make it a spot foul is because they're the talent differential from man to man in college football is so much wider than it is in the NFL where, you know, even the best receivers can't always get separation from some corners just because it's the NFL. Right. Yeah. I don't know. But because of that dumb rule, (laughs) I kind of felt like it was a little hard to like, those are big momentum plays, you know, that just don't get made because they just commit the foul. And yes, they lose 15 yards. We gain 15 yards, but it it's not the same as like a big 50 yard catch or something like that. So there was a lot of that going on. Um, I know KD had one call on him. Uh, I mean, I, I think they had, they had 10 penalties. I feel like five or six of them were pass interference. So that was happening all game long, which probably didn't help Montez. But I mean, he really he just broke down. Um, that was that was a big deal. But to go along with him, I gotta say I I felt like the play calling was pretty suspect too. I don't know what was going on there, um, particularly in the red zone. We had four four drives where we ended up in the opponent red zone, and they resulted in three points, which was one missed field goal, one interception, one turnover on downs, and then one field goal make where we were both saying, why don't they just go for this to try and keep up with the pace? But yeah, I. The play call, I mean, that was an issue last week too, um, the the red zone play calling. It seems like, I don't know why, but he, he turtles, Jay Johnson, the offensive coordinator, kind of turtles when it gets inside the 20. He just wants to run the ball and be conservative with it. But, I mean, if, if throwing the ball got you there in the first place, why are you not just going to let Montez keep throwing the ball at that point? Right. I mean, yes, Montez had a rough game. But at this point, I mean, they – drove all the way down the field and they were doing it in a way that it felt like they needed to be doing it with small chunk plays. They convert a couple of third downs, you know, they're eating up some clock. It felt like he was making good decisions at that point. Um, and I understand you want to have balance. You want to run the ball and you want to pass the ball, obviously. Um, but there was a point on one of the drives. I think it was the one to end the second half. They ran it five times in a row inside of the 20 yard line. So, I mean, on one hand, like it ended up working out for them up to that point. But on the other hand, you're becoming predictable in a more conservative way. So I I didn't totally understand that. I also didn't understand why Fontenot got every carry in the first half, um, especially near the goal line. I feel like because Mangum, Mangum's 6'2", 215, Fontenot's 6'195". I mean, we're talking about a 20-pound difference. Mangum's definitely more of like a power back type of guy. Definitely. Why is he not getting those carries inside of the five-yard line in goal-to-go situations? That's what I was just confused about all of that, pretty much. I understand you're trying to go with the hot hand or whatever, and Fontenot had a good game to his credit, but... Um, I just feel like there was so much that didn't make sense to me about what they were doing play calling wise. Yeah. And kind of go back to your point about them running it five times in a row. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like every single one of those runs was a zone read too. 
Like they just they were just letting Fontenot try and find the hole, and they weren't going outside with it. They ran maybe one or two toss plays to the outside, but I mean, God, it's the same play, and it's ha- it's happened two weeks in a row. So at this point, I mean, yes, Montez is the quarterback; he's got to make plays, but you can't expect him to make plays when he's not getting good calls in the first place to to try and run the offense with. No, it it didn't really make I don't know it didn't make sense to me what was going on. I I feel like his jay johnson his play calling clearly seems to change like it seems so creative going all the way down the field to get them into the red zone and then it seems like he just is having a hard time figuring out what to do from there so i really hope they get that figured out because we can't always score on long you know long pass plays or whatever i mean i know that's part of our offense with the receivers that we have but you know, it's not always going to be a flea flicker or a weird reverse wide receiver pass, you know, like we need to score yeah. on some normal plays inside the red zone. Like, and, and the worst part about it for me was they were doing all that running and the strength of Oregon is their line, their defensive line and their offensive line for that matter. But like, that's their biggest point of strength on their defense. And we're just running it right into them. So I feel like you would just based on that information, you would want to try a little bit more passing, but I guess not. Yeah. It's the, I mean, it's two, like I said already two weeks in a row. And even if we're not scoring with those long ones, like last week we were just kicking field goals instead. That's just not going to win this team games when the defense has yet to hold somebody under 30 points. Yeah. So, and speaking of the defense, um, well, (laughs) (laughs) Same old, same old, I guess, you know? Yeah, not particularly surprising. I mean, we kind of touched on it a little bit already. They, The Oregon offense had a lot of short fields to work with, so that didn't make it any easier. Um, but it, it was bad. It was ugly. Like we said, they kind of looked like they were giving up on it a bit. So it, it's not something I want to see much of anymore, but I feel like, unfortunately, that's kind of what this defense is for the rest of the season, so. Yeah, I mean, Landman and Akil Jones looked lost again. Guys were just getting beat. In, in in the very few times we did run man-on-man, guys were getting beat. And then when we were running zone, which is more common in this defensive scheme, I mean, guys just didn't really know what they were supposed to do. I know on that first touchdown, was it the first touchdown that went to Jacob Breland on the, yes. on the quick out? Yep. Yes. Uh, Mark Perry was in there. Uh, was he in there at star? Honestly, I have no idea. I th- I thought maybe he was playing one of the corner spots for a second, but it, it could have been it could have been Star. But yeah, it was yeah. his man, and he wasn't there. Yeah, well, he it was it was a zone, and he just like comp- like he like got caught up by watching Herbert's eyes, and then he just bit on a guy across the middle, and that left the Oregon tight end Breland wide open for that touchdown. So I mean, it's just stuff like that that we've seen it six games in a row now, and. I mean, yeah, I mean, like you said, I don't think it's getting any better. One one thing I, I've seen people kind of bring up is at, at some point, do you think maybe Mel Tucker takes over calling plays? Um, You know, maybe. I, I, he's he's a defensive guy generally, so I don't know how much experience he has with calling plays. Do you? I mean, I, obviously he was doing it at Georgia. Well, oh, and then right, he did it right, in yeah. Chicago. So, I mean, he's been doing it for a while. Sure, sure. He has. I mean, you know, I, I don't. I just don't even know if it's a play calling thing. <laughs> I feel like it's just a a like the people that they have. I think that's the problem. It's not. I don't think it's a play calling thing. I think they just they make those mistakes. I mean, that first touchdown to Breland, you could see they had it covered. They were all playing their spots, and then you could just see everyone on this that side of the field basically started without even thinking about it i'm assuming wandering towards where herbert's eyes were looking which was the opposite direction so by the time breland got open there was no one anywhere near him and herbert just quickly turned looked the other direction threw it to him and it was a touchdown um i think it's just a mistake thing i i don't i don't know i mean maybe he could take over calling plays maybe it would make a difference but i gotta think that they're doing what he would be wanting them to anyway yeah, that's a good point. But and and something else that's kind of always been in the back of my mind is it seems like they came to Colorado with this mindset of we're going to do our scheme regardless of the talent. And I think that in college you can't really do that. You have to kind of adjust based on what you have personnel wise. And I haven't really seen that. I mean, 
it's I think it's pretty obvious when you have guys like Nate Lamon in coverage every single game and he's getting burned every single game, but you don't really refuse to change anything. That kind of shows that maybe the scheme doesn't really fit the personnel, but they're not shying away from it. Right. Yeah. I, it seems kind of stubborn. I mean, on one hand, you know, you kind of have to say, like, if you're the head coach, you you have to run your scheme. You have to do you have to play your game and make your game plan. Um, you know, it, it's hard to say, like, oh, well, don't get the game plan started yet because you don't feel you have the best guys to do it. When his whole idea is he's going to come in, he's going to recruit players that play the way he wants them to play and he's going to make the system the way he wants it to be made. So I don't know. It's frustrating for now, but it's one of those, I think it's just one of those things you kind of have to deal with, with a first year head coach. Yeah. I mean, I think the game plan overall is he's implementing the scheme now so that year two, year three, there have been guys that'll be in the scheme for multiple right, years, right. but it seems like it's coming at the expense of year one, hundred percent. which for for longtime CU fans, I mean, we all know how long it's been since they've had a bowl game aside from 2016. So I don't know if that's necessarily the best way to to make everyone like you. But, I mean, it, again, who knows? Maybe three years down the road we'll be like, oh, it makes sense now. But at least right now it doesn't feel good. Yeah, it definitely – there's not there's not a lot of good feelings right now, especially just the way the last game went. Um, but you never know. I mean, maybe it's one of those things that the team kind of really gets it figured out. They're getting a little bit healthier, um, and maybe the numbers start to look a little better by by the time we're towards the end of the season. Um, I mean, we can't forget, like, Oregon is, if not the best team in the Pac-12, top two. So, um, I mean, they showed it, you know. They 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 kicked our ass, but it, a lot of it is just because they're better. I mean, they have more talent than we do. There's no doubt about it. I mean, they're, they had one offensive lineman that was just looking at him bigger, faster, stronger than anyone that we could counter him with on our team. Um, same thing with their defensive line. They've got, you know, at least one five star over there. Like they just have more talent than us. So it looks bad. It feels bad now, but I'm inclined to believe that in the years to come, we'll be happy that he made the decisions that he made. At least I hope so. Cause if not, I mean, it's, it's going to be rough. Yeah. And you know, speaking of that, of that left tackle for Oregon, it just, I mean, I think it's worth showing right now, especially when I mean, we haven't really had a pass rush all season, but it's blatantly obvious when Mustafa's not in the game because he can kind of he can beat pretty much anyone in the league one on one off the ball. The problem is when he's not playing, we don't have anybody else that can do that. Right. Yeah. We don't have that same level of talent on our defensive line because we don't have that kind of depth on our defense. So, um, God, it would be great to get him back soon. Yeah, I'm hoping he can go against Washington State because, uh, as we'll get to in a bit, I mean they're a team that if you don't get pressure on on that quarterback. I mean, it's just, it's just going to be dink and dunk down the field until they score every single drive. Um, one of, one of the other things that was, that was really getting on my nerves was the amount of penalties on CU. Obviously we had the personal foul on Jalen Harris where he tried, where he threw a punch, which, um, was stupid in and of itself, but how many false starts were there? Oh God, I don't even know, but it seemed like there were a few on every drive. Um, yeah, like, I mean, some of them, some of them legitimately took points off the board. <laughs> like in one of our drives, we had first and goal on the three and it started with a false start um, before we could like, which just took us back. And then there was a pass and then there was a hold. I mean, it, it's like we just kept going one step forward, two steps back on a lot of these drives. It seemed like. Yeah. And a lot of it with the, with the false starts, I mean, Oregon does a lot of that pre-snap motion on their defensive line. And it's it's not only to try and confuse the offensive line, but it also helps them get set in their correct alignment. But, I mean, that's something that you would think that seeing that on film, the coaches would kind of, like, drill that into their heads. Like, they're going to move pre-snap, don't move. Right. But yeah. it seems like that wasn't really brought up at all in practice. Maybe it was, but it didn't seem like it was brought up well. I mean, I think it's one thing to say it and to look at it and to point it out. It's another thing when you're in this game and you're getting your ass kicked and these guys are on you so quickly all the time and – you know, I, I think, yeah, they just probably panic a bit after a while. I think it's just hard, um, especially with the game going the way it was. It, it seemed like they just had a hard time staying focused. I mean, I don't know if it was like panic setting in or what, but they were in the game early, and, and that was one of the reasons why they fell out of it for sure. Mm-hmm. 
And it's also two weeks in a row that CU's had a ton of penalties. They had 14 for how many yards this game? Oh, and yeah, 110 or something. Yeah. And then last week, I don't even remember, but um, pulling it up here against Arizona, they had, let's see, how many penalties did Buffs have? Eight for 85 in a game that only had nine penalties, so they had eight of the nine. I mean, they just that's two weeks in a row that they've kind of looked almost like an undisciplined team, which is really surprising from a Mel Tucker team, just from the way he is as, as a coach. Right, yeah, it, that's pretty worrisome for me. i, I got to think that they're going to get it straightened out, but... You know, there's a lot of stuff happening right now that is very mental, and it just feels like they're drifting back to what that team was last year. So that scares me a lot. I really don't want to see that same team that finished the season last year, and and I hope that they can turn it around. And and I still think Mel Tucker's going to be able to kind of get them in the right mindset. But um, yeah, that that worries me a lot. The penalties, the way that they looked after they got down. I mean. It looked like they were kind of giving up for that first time, like we were saying. So I'm I'm worried about that, and I'm hoping that they can just turn it around, like even on the mental side. I don't know what it, what it's going to take, just a good week of practice. Maybe they come out in the next game, they have a little bit of success and turns things around, but they, they've got to get it straightened out. Yeah, and I mean, I don't really see Mel Tucker's football team quitting like last year's team kind of did. Through the last seven games, it seemed like everyone was kind of over McIntyre's bullshit (laughs) by the end of last year. I don't see that happening, especially, I mean, not in year one, but especially on a guy like Mel Tucker. I mean, he's a player's coach, so I don't see anybody wanting to quit on him. I'm not necessarily worried about that, but um, one one of the other things, one of the many things that bothered me this game was that Tyler Lytle didn't get a snap until the fourth quarter, and it was, it wasn't even like at the beginning of the fourth quarter, it was later on in the fourth quarter either. Yeah, that that was really confusing to me. It seemed like it was confusing to a lot of people just based on some of the stuff that I was seeing on the internet. Um, but yeah, I mean, they didn't put the backup quarterback in until the last drive of the game. Um, I mean, Montez came in at one point when they were down, I don't know if it was like in the high 30s or something, 40s at that point, I'm not exactly sure. But he came in a couple of times when he really didn't need to be out there at all. So... Um, that was definitely confusing for me. I mean, even not just him, um, you know, Jaron Mangum came in after basically not getting a touch in the first half. Um, it almost seemed like they just needed to get him touches. So that's why he was staying in the game. But at one point he, he got flipped through the air with seven minutes left in that game where they were already down by yeah, 40 points or something like that. And, and I was just thinking like, why is he even in there to have that happen? You know, and thankfully he seemed okay, but there was a lot of that where I just didn't understand why the starters were still out there. Yeah, like I mean, what what do you do if you know at with fifteen minutes left in the fourth, Montez goes in there and he gets hurt, and then not only I mean if he's hurt for out like out for the next game, not only do you have to finish that game with Lytle, who's I mean really he's never had any meaningful snaps in a game at all in in the three years he's been here. But then you're going and putting him against Washington State and still had no meaningful snaps because at that point it was garbage time against Oregon. So, I mean, it just seems pointless to not – I mean, you're putting your, your starting quarterback at, at risk of injury and then you're not getting any experience because, I mean, as much as Montez is frustrating to watch, he's also the – I mean, the best chance we have of winning six games this year and he's gone after next year. So – Either it's going to be one of the two guys on the roster, Brendan Lewis, or a grad transfer. And right now, Brendan Lewis, it looks like he's going to have as much experience playing college football, meaningful time by the time he gets here, when <laughs> as, as those two, yeah. as Lytle and Sinstrom. Yeah. So, I mean, it just, it's just frustrating. And it seems like the same, it's, we had the same, same concern with McIntyre and his staff. They wouldn't play the backup QBs, and now it seems kind of like Mel Tucker's staff is doing the same thing. Yeah, so, I mean, I guess the question is, like, do they suck that bad or, or what? I mean, what's going on? Like, how could they make that game any worse than it already was? I guess is my big question. So, yeah, I mean, it, it seemed dangerous. I, I think that's like my first my first thing where I can really point to what Mel is doing and, and question it, where I'm kind of like totally confused about why he would do that. I, I have no idea why that happened. Um you, I, I really hope if there's more situations where it would make sense to put them in that he does. Cause yeah, like you said, I mean, 
this team can still win six games and make it to a bowl, but the only way they can do that is with Montez and him staying healthy. Not to mention, by keeping him in, all they did is basically allow him to probably lose a little more confidence, considering he threw four picks in the game. Um, so, I, I don't know. It, it seemed to me like there wasn't really any upside to keeping him in that game, unless maybe he was hoping he drives the team downfield, they get a touchdown, just just for good feeling's sake. But, um, yeah, in, in, in my opinion, and I think it's yours too, he's got to put the backups in there at some point, just to get some run, just to see what you have. I mean, yeah, I, as for me, at least, I mean, I know I'm probably in the minority on this one, but I think as long as like they're competent I, and they know like they can actually run the offense, I think a backup QB in college should always get just one meaningful drive every game, whether it's a close game or, or not. Uh, obviously, if you're like in at the point where you're contending for like the back to South, then no, don't worry about it. But I think in games like these, like, why not give Lytle one drive in the third quarter when it's not a 40-point game? Just just one drive, you know. I mean, the offense wasn't scoring anyway, so maybe they'd do something with him. And if not, it's the same old, same old. I mean, Montez threw four picks, so it's not like if they threw a pick, it was going to be much different than what we had seen throughout the rest of the game. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a point there where you watch Montez force a throw into double or triple coverage that gets picked off, or maybe it'd be good for him to get a blow for a drive, if nothing else, like, just to kind of set it, like, calm his mind down a little bit, but you never know, too. I mean, when you get that kind of stuff, then you're talking about, like, the mental side of how your quarterback's feeling, and if he gets taken out, is he going to feel worse? Is he not going to feel as confident in himself stuff like that so you know there, there's a lot of nuance to that that the coaches have to deal with but I mean really I I yeah I I don't know if I would go as far as to say they should always get a meaningful drive but I definitely think that if they need to come in when your team is losing by 40 points and your quarterback is like the only thing that's going to keep you having a good season this year so yeah yeah and, and Lytle didn't even throw an attempt throw he didn't even throw a pass I mean, he dropped back for yeah. one he dropped back for <laughs> <Yep>. one <laughs> he just didn't get it off and he got sacked and he turtled so i mean still um i think he i mean katie nixon has thrown more meaningful balls in a game than tyler <laughs> yeah, just let that true. sink in yeah so uh as far i mean you know, from the rest of the game, were there were there any positives that came out of a forty-five to three loss here? Um, I thought the running backs looked pretty good. Uh, I mean, yeah, you know, Deion Smith came in. He was kind of exciting when he came in. He averaged five point nine yards per carry. So, uh, and he had a couple runs where you could see like he definitely has some breakaway speed and stuff, and and he was making things happen. Um, and yeah, Fontenot and Mangum both had solid games uh, i would say those were positive um other than that i mean it was good to see lavisca chenault back he only had 70 yards which is i would say low for his standards for playing the whole game but like we said earlier i mean he was getting like i think he had three different pass interference calls on him where guys are just hanging on him so um he was still making a big difference out there so that was good to see too yeah um and now that I'm looking at it, Katie Nixon actually didn't have a reception all game. No, he didn't. Um, he just, but, I mean, he was playing. Return so. kicks, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think, yeah, I was going to kind of say the same thing was was the, the running backs. I will say uh, for um, – I'm forgetting his name now. KJ Trujillo, uh, I mean, he's looked decent. I mean, he hasn't looked, like, out, outstanding or anything. But, like, I think when you're a cornerback at the college level, if you're not noticed, then that's – pretty much all you can ask for I mean, <laughs> right, you're not right. noticing him because he's not getting burned all the time right. uh, unless i missed something but i don't think any of the times that we had broken or blown coverages it was on him no i mean a, a so, lot of it was runs right like a lot of their biggest mm-hmm. plays were running plays so yeah so I, I i gotta say at least at least kj trujillo true freshman getting a lot of playing time now because of the injuries i mean it looks like in the years coming he could be at least a stable piece uh he's not gonna He's not going to be the guy that you're completely worried about, so hopefully he can keep that up. I'll say that that's that's one positive for this game. So, uh, on to Washington State. The the Cougars coming, and this one's actually in Pullman, going to Washington State a second Pac-12 or second road game in a row. Uh, let's. I mean, other than other than the obvious, 
uh, Max Borgie, who I'll talk about in a second, but who are some of the players you want to watch out for? Um, I mean, really kind of everything that they do is based on what Anthony Gordon, their quarterback, does. Uh, his numbers are pretty ridiculous this year, as is standard for Washington State quarterbacks under Mike Leach. Um, but, I mean, he has over 2,600 yards passing and 25 touchdowns to six interceptions, so pretty incredible. Um, and to be completely honest, I mean, they have eight receivers that are all averaging over 200 yards. So they spread the ball around. <laughs> he spreads the ball around a lot. Um, granted, one of those receivers is their running back. So um, I would say that's that's a guy to watch out for. I mean, he is their offense. You know, he's in control of it. So if you can make him uncomfortable, you've got a better chance. And if not, you know, he's just going to, yeah, like we said, dink and dunk and short little passes and just all the way down the field. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. One of the, the one person I'm most worried about is Max Borgie, who, for those of you who are not aware, he was actually a Colorado commit at one time. Um, and then I, you know, word on word on the internet is that the staff McIntyre staff kind of dropped the ball on him. They they got the commitment and then didn't really keep in contact. They just thought that it was pretty much a done deal since he's from Colorado. Uh, but he ended up decommitting, going to Washington State, and I think that was one of the bigger misses in, in recent recruiting history, just because he's been such a, a key player for Washington state the past two or three years. I can, I can't remember what year he is. Right. Yeah. I mean, he, he, I mean, he's always oh, a sophomore, so he's just the past two years, but I mean, he's always been a great receiving back and he's still, I mean, he still does good running the ball. He's a little bit smaller, five ten. I mean, even then he's five ten, one ninety, so he's not too small. But he's always quick out of the backfield, and against the defense like ours, where the linebackers are going to be asked to cover those guys, I'm very worried about Max Borgie in this game. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I I honestly feel like this game is going to be quite the shootout. Um, I mean, that's kind of one of the concerns, right? Is is just how our defense is going to track all these short passes and all these quick routes and stuff. Um, I mean, if we're going to get into it, I would say like both of these teams look pretty similar as far as like how we're rated offense and defense wise. We both have pretty good offenses. Our defenses are both absolutely terrible. Um, and it's, it's going to be interesting to see like how our team can handle uh, how, which, which team's defense adjusts better to the offense that we're going to see. Cause they are both very different. Yeah. And yeah, like kind of like you said, I think that like when you say quite the shootout, like I think both these defenses are so bad, like, I haven't seen the line for the over yet, but I'm probably going to take it. <laughs> yeah, whatever <It's, laughs> it is. It seems like it's almost going to be a no-brainer, but I feel like every time we say that it's going to be a shootout, somehow it ends up being like a like a defensive struggle and it'll end up being like a 17-14 game, but I just I just can't see that with how actually bad these two defenses are. Yeah, I mean, just to put it in perspective, like I, going into this game, thought, okay, well, I think their defensive line is okay, I want to say. Um, and I looked at the numbers, and, you know, they have 12 sacks on the season. Our defense has 10 sacks, which when you consider the fact that we generally don't have a pass rush period, um, that kind of tells you, like, they're really not that far apart. Um, their secondary is definitely suspect. I mean, UCLA torched these guys for 69 points or whatever it was a couple of weeks ago <laughs> in Pullman. Um, so look, thankfully, after the game that we had last week, this is kind of like the exact thing that I feel like our offense could need to get back on track. Yeah, it's I mean, you would hope so. I mean, three points is like we already said, unacceptable. And against a team like this, I mean, I'm still just kind of in shock that they only scored three points because I know Oregon's defense is, is very legit, but this team has so many weapons on the offensive side of the ball with LaVisca, KD, Tony Brown, and I mean even Alex Fontenot is a good receiver out of the backfield. Like I just don't understand how that team only scored three points. So against a defense like Washington State's, you've got to hope they can get something going. Yeah. Um, I mean, if they can't get something going here, then it's safe to say they're not going to get to six wins because this might be the softest defense that that they play um, coming up. So we need the offense to turn it around. I know they just got their asses kicked, but you know what? This is, this is the remedy for that. All right. So here we go. It's time to turn it around. See good Montez again. Um, get some receivers dominating downfield. Like that. That's what I want to see. Cause this game is probably going to be a shootout. So we're going to need it. 
Yeah, I mean, other than the other than the offense getting back on track, and then the defense just, of course, being one of the major concerns. Is there anything else that's kind of sticking out to you? Um, I mean, not not really. Other than just, I kind of touched on it earlier, but mentally, where the team is at, you know, I I don't want to see this turn into a spiral like we had last year. Um, we already kind of talked about it, so I, I'm with you. I don't necessarily think Mel is going to let that happen, but I just need to see them come back out and and show some fight again. It was hard to see them kind of giving up on the field out there last game. Yeah, and well, the the weird thing about well, not the weird thing, but the the i mean if, if we're just being completely honest here pretty much this game ucla and stanford are the only games where i think it's cu has a legitimate like it's near 50 50 shot to win right and then after that i mean if they were able to pull off all three 50 50 wins which is unlikely um then you get to a bowl but otherwise i mean they've pretty much if they lose this one then I really think it's almost yeah. a no hoper for for getting to a bowl this yeah, year. Yeah, pretty much. They're they're in trouble if they if they don't snag one of these. Because I mean, granted, we we don't really know about USC, um, but yeah, it, it's it would be very very difficult if they don't get this game. Yeah, and yeah, it's just, it's just kind of kind of crazy how fast three weeks can change your two weeks really can change your change your outlook. I mean, going into the Arizona game. We were looking at maybe being, you know, we were like, well, what if this team could be getting close to seven wins by the time, or getting close to ball eligible by the time UCLA comes right. around? And that's with three games to go, right. and you know, here we are now at three and three, and it's it's definitely taking a turn for the worse. Yeah, absolutely. Unfortunately, um, it is funny how things can change that quickly. I mean, that loss to Arizona really hurt. It would have been great to get that one. Um, you know, it, it would be a bummer if we look back on this season. And we think about where we were an extra point that got blocked and um, what one one drive away from having two more wins. And that could be the one difference. One easy slant pass to Demetri right. Stanley from continuing a drive. Right, exactly. So um, it hurts that we were that close. But, you know, you, you just got to move on. Hopefully they are and, and they can they can pull something out this week and give us some hope for the future. Yep, that's pretty much pretty much the hope, and I mean we'll, we'll obviously get into this in the off season, but because next year the schedule is even tougher than this year, and it doesn't look like it's going to be any easier. We're not going to have a fifth year senior quarterback, so I think a bowl game this year is just absolutely huge, just for the amount of extra reps you can get, guys. Absolutely. As far as oh, and you know, quick side note on, on Washington State for those of you that aren't familiar with the air raid. Uh, I'm not sure on the exact number of plays, but it's actually pretty interesting. I think Mike Leach, his version of the air raid only has about 30 plays, um, but they have multiple different formations. So it's 30 different plays, but they're run through separate formations. So it's, I mean, it's just normal size playbook, relatively speaking, but it's a bit, I think, easier for people to pick up on just because you only have to learn 30 plays and then you just have to know the formation. So just an interesting side note about Washington state is their playbook's right. a little bit different from the rest. Right. Uh, yeah. And that was actually, that reminds me one thing I forgot to mention about them, their last game, they threw 66 passes and only ran the ball 10 times. So um, get ready for that. That's kind of what we're looking at here is a lot. The ball is going to be flying all over the field. So brace yourself. Yeah. And even though they do throw it that much, I mean, Aaron, Anthony Gordon is still completing 71% of his passes, so it's not like they're missing very I mean, he's he's having a solid season, which, like you already said, it's just is pretty standard for Washington State quarterbacks. Um, so it'll be, you know, those games are all – I think these are always the fun games, really fun games to watch just because you get to watch an offense that's typically just so well run. It's just the fact that their defense is horrible. It's going to give us a, ch- a chance right, here. Right, right. So, um, you know, is there what's what's kind of your keys to the Buffs winning this game here? Honestly, for me, I think it's all about the offense, pretty much, because um, I, I think they're going to score no matter what. It'd be nice if we could get some turnovers here and there that would help us out. But um, I'm looking for us to kind of control the game with our offense. If we can kind of control the tempo of the game, because Washington State, they want to go fast. They want to go quick. Um, and if we can kind of upset their rhythm by playing the game how Jay Johnson kind of does it, where you mix the run, the pass. Well, um, we get points on the board. We score in the red zone, please. Um, 
just a couple just a times. couple times like maybe not get three points on four red zone trips this week please um that would be that's my biggest thing just getting the offense back on track getting montez feeling good again having the running backs continue a solid week from last week um i think that that'll be the key yeah i was just gonna say i mean is there really gonna be any game going forward where one of the keys is defense or is that, is that kind of just out of <laughs> out of the realm of I mean, reality at this point i mean I probably not considering how our team is, but I I just think in this one, there's not even a point really to say like, Oh, if the defense could do one thing better here or there, because I I really feel like it's, it's not going to even be about them at this point. I mean, Washington state is a team that they just put up points. There's just nothing you can do about it. They score. So um, yeah, it's, it's kind of a non-factor for me. Yeah. I'm with you there. I think, my one of my keys for this game, obviously, other than the offense actually scoring in the red zone, is can the defense get back to helping win the turnover battle? Yes. Uh, did not do it against Oregon, obviously, and then at Arizona, I think it was. Did they win that turnover turnover battle? Uh, I think they did, but I, or or it was even maybe. I, I can't remember. Let's, one each. Let's pull up the team um, stats here and see what it was. <laughs> but yeah, it hasn't been what it was to start the season by any means. Yeah. So. I mean that's that's a way that's the way you win games in a shootout is you just for if you force more turnovers than the other team in a shootout game you're typically going to win just because neither defense can stop the other offense so if you can just get a couple of breaks through those kinds of plays then that's how you're going to win a game like this. Yes. So uh, in the the part that I've recently come to start hating about this podcast, <laughs> your prediction for the game. Oh God, um, you know I said. I said 45-42 buffs. 45-42 buffs? It's a lot of points, and it's not necessarily what our offense is geared to because the way we play offense um, is kind of a little bit more methodical, but I just think the way this game is going to be played, I don't think Washington State's going to have the ball for very long, and I don't think that's going to bother them. I think that's just how they how they work, how they play. So, um uh, yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of points. So I'm going with 45-42 buffs. I think the buffs can pull this one out. I think it's going to be close. They kind of need it, so that's what I'm banking on, is they're just so desperate for it that they can pull it off. Yeah, I wish I shared the confidence that you do, but I'm unfortunately going to have to go against the buffs again I, this I week. I figured you would. I'm trying to put some positive yeah. energy out there, you know. <laughs> I, I like your positive energy. It's keeping me rolling through the season. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I have this one going 48-38 in favor of the Cougars. Yeah. And the only reason I think that is, like we had mentioned multiple times before, I don't think that we're somehow just going to magically flip a switch and learn how to score in the red zone. So yeah. I think that's going to be – I think there's going to be a couple drives where the Buffs either kick a field goal or – or turnover on downs or something where they should have scored just because they're in the red zone so deep. Hey, so. You know what, though? On one hand, that Oregon defense that they just played is going to make this Washington State defense look like a bunch of middle schoolers. So that's what I'm banking that's on. So true. I'm banking on them just being like, oh, man, not every team is as horrible as we just played. So <laughs> uh, here we go. That would be Let's huge make it if happen. That can, if that could yeah. happen. <laughs> All right. So... Uh, both splitting down the middle, Chase picking the Cougars. I'm taking Mm-mm-mm-mm. her Chase. No, Chase picking the Buffs. Obviously, there you go. I'm taking the Cougar Cougars. Yeah. So, uh, as always, hope Chase is right on this one. Please, and let's get into our bets of the week, Chase. I'll let you take it away. Okay, um, my three bets. First one, Boise State. I have them at minus five and a half versus BYU. Um, BYU just lost to USF last week, so. I think they, yeah, they're they're not looking very good right now. Boise State's a very good team, um, favored by less than a touchdown. So that's my logic there. Um, my next one is Florida, minus 6.5 versus South Carolina. They might be at minus 7 by now. I'm not totally sure. Uh, South Carolina just beat Georgia, so I think they are kind of getting a boost from that. I think if they don't, they don't pull off that upset, I feel like this line is way different. And uh, Florida, yes, they just lost to LSU, but... I mean, LSU is clearly like a national title contender. So, and they were in that game. I mean, they really were. They were like a, a fourth down and one from at the goal line or something from uh, being only down a touchdown in the final minutes there. So, um, I, I think they're just much better than South Carolina. I think they'll be kind of angry after their loss and they'll be looking to kick someone's ass. So, um, 
favored by a touchdown, I'll, I'll take them. And then my last one, um, as much as it pains me to say, is going to be CU plus 12.5 versus Washington State. I just don't think it's it's a big spread. People are way down on CU because they just got absolutely shellacked um, by Oregon. Uh, and Washington State kept pace with ASU. So I think that's the reason why that spread is so big. But I just don't think there's that big of a gap between the teams. I think both teams are going to be able to score a lot of points. And um, yeah, I think it stays within 10 points even, I'm going to say, probably. so. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think it's going to stay within 10 points too. I, I, the more I think about it, I mean, almost two touchdowns is, is a lot when your defense is that right, bad. Right, exactly. Like theirs is. So I mean, there's still like the I, danger yeah. even of like, even if CU is out of the game, just driving down the field and scoring at the end to bring it back to a seven-point game or something. Like that's very possible against a team like Washington State, so. Right. Uh, all right. So, yeah, I, I like all three of your bets. Uh, I think I'm probably going to end up taking – I feel like most of the time we have almost nearly all the same right. bets. Just yeah, because in, we have the, in real life. We think alike Outside here. of podcast life, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the three that I'm picking for this week, uh, I'm taking Arizona State plus 12.5 against Utah. It's in Salt Lake City. But, and, I mean, Herman Edwards' teams have shown they just don't lose games by more than a touchdown. It just doesn't happen. And Arizona State, I think, will be able to keep pace with Utah. Like, I mean, Utah's looked explosive against teams that are pretty bad, but they haven't, you know, against teams that are pretty decent. They've they haven't been putting up a ton of points. So I think Arizona State will be able to stay within twelve and a half against Utah. I'm, I'm relatively confident in that one. And we had already mentioned it before. Jaden Daniels is just getting better and better each week, and he has seemingly the best clutch factor for a freshman to ever play in the Pac-12 sometimes. <laughs> something so, like that, yeah. He, uh, I, I feel comfortable taking them with plus 12.5, even though it's in Salt Lake. Uh, the next one I'm taking is Washington, plus 3.5. They're actually favored, or not, they're actually uh, not favored to win, or even, and it's not even a pick them technically in their home stadium. There's plus 3.5 against Oregon. Typically, um, we've, I think we've mentioned this before, you know, at a home, in a home stadium, you're, you're typically given a minus three point spread just because if you know you get home, so it's it's a little bit easier to play at home than on the road. So they're technically saying that they think Oregon's going to win this game by six and a half. So, you know, I'm just I'm confident that Washington Washington's defense is good enough to to keep it within a field goal, and it's at home. And and as uh, Oregon always seems to have just one trip up or two trip ups a year, and I think that this is a prime position for that. We're coming off you know, a beat down of Colorado and they might be feeling themselves a little bit too much. So going three and a half Washington for me seems like a pretty good bet. And then my last one, Penn state minus eight versus Michigan. Um, Michigan's office offense has shown it's pretty garbage this year, even though they got a new offensive coordinator and Penn state has been looking dominant pretty much every game this year, except for, I mean, they, they played against Iowa last night and they didn't look too great, but uh, Iowa's defense is, is a big, catalyst for that so i'm taking penn state minus eight i think they beat michigan handily and a touchdown touchdown plus point it seems easy to me yeah i mean all that sounds good i you know we talked about it before the podcast i worry about that oregon washington game um but it i i you know it's a good bet either way either way i feel like there's an argument to support that one so we'll see Mm -hmm. what happens yeah so for tweet of the week i think you have this one chase Oh, yes, I do. Look at that. Um, It is. It comes from Reddit, College Football's Twitter account. Um, If you're looking for a follow for College Football, it's not a bad one. Um, But the tweet that they tweeted out is, while the storied football rivalry between Texas and Texas A&M has yet to be revived, the two teams have found other ways to compete. The Aggies currently lead the Longhorns three to two in very high quality losses. So, um, in case you guys don't know, that's kind of like the thing that gets thrown around for college football teams with these big fan bases, um, such as Texas and Texas A&M, where they like to talk about how good their losses are compared to other people. So, um, you know, there's a lot of weird stuff with the rankings where they say, oh, we should be ranked higher than this team because we've only lost two games and they're both quality losses. So, um, whereas everyone else on planet earth thinks if you lose, you, you lose. That's how it works. 
<laughs> yeah, otherwise known as moral victories. Moral victories, yes. Also a good one. Um, yeah, so yeah, that'll you know that'll do it for this week. Uh, as always. Oh, and before I, I mention the mailbag uh, email one more time, Nebraska got beat down by Minnesota, which was hilarious. Oh, always good. Always seven, always so. good for a little <laughs> Nebraska update. Uh, but anyway, as always, uh, if you want to email any questions, hit us up at shoulder to shoulder pod at gmail.com. Any question, any feedback, anything at all, we'll always read it. So hit us up there if you want to send us something. Yep. And always, please um, subscribe if you like what you hear and you're a new listener. Uh, give us five star ratings, you know, don't be stingy with those stars. Um, and uh, leave reviews. We always like to see them. Uh, helps us get in feedback. So uh, let us know what you think. And uh, as always, thanks for listening and Sco Buffs. Sco Buffs for the love of God, please. <laughs>